I missed my cue there this morning, but that's okay. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, we've been back since June 10th, and um, we're heading back on September 3rd. Let me just see who's all here. I've got to take a mental note of it in case I use somebody as an example in my sermon. <laughs> if they are here, I won't use that example. <laughs> just kidding. No, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, so our ministry is called His Feet International, and uh, this is our home church. Uh, our son, Caleb, uh, is with us as well in China. He's also a Westridge missionary. He's working with us. Uh, he's the next generation. He's uh, 20, he'll be 22 in September. So uh, super appreciate, um, you know, your support of him because, uh, you know, we need to believe in young people when they say they have a vision for God. Because too many times we want to direct those visions as if uh, towards our ministries. But uh, Caleb came up with a vision from God for his life. And uh, we're actually in a position where we're able to foster that in China. And uh, so he doesn't live with us in China. Thank God. Um, but <laughs> he lives in another, in the same city as us. So he's been doing a great job uh, studying the language and helping me on trips and stuff. Our ministry basically... Uh, you're going to hear about it in different examples throughout the sermon today. But we are, uh, we're there in China to reach the unreached. And uh, one thing about reaching the unreached, those that have never heard about Jesus before, is that most people who are unreached without Jesus are, are poor. So we come across some needs that we can't turn our eyes to, um, mainly because God said not to do that in the Bible. <laughs> and, so, and so we've uh, started a ministry to leprosy victims, and in the last uh, year, uh, from July to July, we were in 14 different leprosy colonies doing many projects, and we recently just started a, a partnership with a, a, a couple that's bringing in all of the children that are affected by this disease. Now, this disease is curable. The people that have had leprosy have been treated, um, but the stigma that it carries just goes on and on, even sometimes to generations of people that don't have it. Um, especially from the ones that, that contracted the disease during the terrible time when it wasn't treatable and their bodies became maimed and, uh, and lame and, and all of the nerves in their system went dead. Uh, and, uh, and so all of their children and children's children that are affected by this disease, we're now bringing them together and caring for them with camps every summer for two weeks in order to share the gospel with them and to just tell them how much they're loved and bring them to a place where they're, where they're safe and they're not ostracized um, for, for the stigma disease that they would kind of were born into. And uh, so, yeah, we're just super grateful for, for this church. You, you've been there for us ever since the, uh, what I consider a miracle. I was in my house in 2012, and I have uh, six kids. Three of them are boys and three of them are girls. And... Um, I can't really work in my house because it's, it's like loud and <laughs> it's hard to concentrate. And, and so I prayed one morning. I said, Lord, I need an office. And he instantaneously, instantaneously answered me back and said, contact Westridge. I didn't know anybody from Westridge at all. I knew Ed Schlanska from many, many years ago, but I didn't know what he was up to or whatnot. <laughs> and I, so I emailed Pastor John, and by Friday, he had committed that space to me that, that I now use as, as my office. And, uh, and from that, we were able to really grow his feet international and impact more 
more people. For example, right now we have 30 Tibetan students studying the Bible right now through the storying curriculum. They're learning the stories of the Bible. And once they've completed that course, they're going to be sent back to their people to share those stories of the Bible with the Tibetans. And uh, so we're just super blessed and excited to do what we do. And um, let me just go ahead and jump into the word here. We're going to talk today about Jesus' deep concern that, that he has for us. How many of you know that Jesus is concerned for you? Amen. Amen. Jesus was so vested in his father's plan to redeem the world, and he knew there were some serious challenges when it came to his followers and the things they would face. You see, Jesus lived in this world, and he faced the same things we faced. He faced the same things we do. Even in the face of challenges, Jesus also knew that the unfolding of God's plan to save people was possible. He knew the execution of that plan was hinged on his followers. So we're going to look at what Jesus wants for his disciples. I believe that when push comes to shove, what we really want for our lives is what God wants for our lives. Amen? What we want for our lives is what God wants for our lives. I think if we looked at the deep down core desire of who we are, that's what we would say we want if we're a believer. I'll clarify that. (laughs) So today's text is in John 17, We're going to read verses uh, 14 through 16, but before we jump into the text, uh, we're going to talk about the gospel of John and about what was happening here. First of all, I believe that the purpose of the gospel of John, the reason it was written, I believe it was very clear, and John himself stated it in John 20, 31. He said this, he said, but these things are written, talking about his gospel, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And by the way, I am using the IPAD version today. (laughs) The book is written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that we believe he's the anointed king, the Messiah, and that he's the son of God. This is more kingdom of God language. And that by believing, we have life in his name. The book of John uses the word believe nearly 100 times. There's a clear link in John's mind that through believing that both Jesus and God are glorified. John is very concerned with the Father and the Son being glorified. See, John was very intentional in showing the intimate relationship between Jesus and his Father and how Jesus was the revelation of his Father. So turn to John 17 if you're not there yet. At this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has already told his disciples that he's going to be crucified. He knows that his arrest is imminent. He knows his disciples will face the greatest obstacle yet after he's arrested and after he's crucified. And this is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. What we're looking at here in John chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer for us. John 17 is sometimes called the farewell prayer. But it's more commonly called the high priestly prayer, and I like that definition better. Why is it the high priestly prayer? Is because Jesus is our high priest. The book of Hebrews clearly tells us that. He knows both our weaknesses and our temptations, and he knows how much God the Father wants to do in our lives. This is Jesus summarizing what his earnest desire for us is. And like a good high priest, he makes intercession 
for his people. <coughs> Excuse me. So let's take a look at John 17, 14. It says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Wow. What a scripture to start out with. <laughs> Don't worry, because the scripture right before this scripture talks about Jesus' complete joy. And he wants his disciples to have complete joy. But Eric gets to preach about that. We're actually starting a series today that'll be four weeks about the, about from John 17. And uh, I'm taking a couple of topics that you'll hear in a bit. Chris Del Santo is taking um, the practical applications of what it means to live in the world but not be of the world. Manny's going to speak on um, unity. Jesus emphasized in this chapter as well unity. So I want to encourage you to, to be around for all four of those uh, sermons. And if you, if you can't be here, because I won't, I have to be at other places preaching, <laughs> but I'm planning on tuning in. Um, on the, on the website. Amen? So, but I get to teach you today about being hated. No, in all seriousness, Jesus knew that if the world hated him, if the systems of this world hated him, that his disciples would be hated too. Now, why would anyone want to be a Christian if it means to be hated? Now, I looked into this word, word hated. I looked it up in the Greek and studied it, and, it, and it, its meaning really clar- clarifies things for us. It really points out the meaning for us. It means to be hated. <laughs> so let me say that the contrast, this is the answer to the question of why would anyone want to be a Christian if it means to be hated. Let me say that the contrast of being loved by God so completely, so unconditionally, makes the world's tolerance even seem like hate. We would want to be Christians because the perfect love of God versus the complications of this fallen world are a no-brainer. We would want to believe because the King of Kings is worthy of our devoted following no matter what. Now let me just say from experience, hatred of believers is a real thing. Persecution is a real thing. In China, you probably know we deal with persecution and that persecution is on the rise. One of the opportunities that we've had in China is to train uh, leaders from one of the largest house church networks in China. And uh, we've provided with training for them in marketplace missions, how to, you know, how to be a missionary in the marketplace. We've provided training for them in marriage and the importance of marriage in the Christian family and things that they've asked us to train. And now, now Uncle Wong, the leader of, uh, of this section of the movement that, that we train, he's asking us to train uh, to, to bring training for his pastors, but it's not the same typical type of training. It's basically pastoral care. He wants us to bring in these pastors that are being persecuted and, and love on them and care for them and encourage them because so many things are changing right now for them as the government is cracking down on churches, shutting churches down, imprisoning some, and uh, making it extremely difficult. They're training people in China to look for meetings on Sunday morning where music is coming out of the walls behind them so that they can turn them in. They're offering a, uh, a price. They're offering a fee for um, house church leaders, for house church meeting locations, and for missionaries. So therefore, there is a price on my head. It's only about 1500 bucks, But 
nonetheless, that's what someone would get if they turned in information on us that led to us uh, being found out. So everything we do is, is secret and under the radar because of, this, because of this situation. And that's why Eric didn't mention my last name. Um, but there's face, facial recognition. Hey, China, how are you? <laughs> so persecution's a real thing. And so I'd ask you to pray for the persecuted church, just as Jesus prayed for his disciples. And somebody's going to point out in the next four weeks that even in this prayer, that we're, this prayer isn't just for his immediate 12 disciples, but it's for all that believe after him, which is you and me, right? So we're included in this context. So John 17, 15 says this, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So three times we hear Jesus declare that his disciples are not of the world. We're obviously in the world. His disciples were obviously in the world, but we're not of the world. So what is this world? What does the world mean? The word world in the Bible is like many words. It's neutral. The context of the passage of Scripture is what determines determines for us if it's bad or if it's good. So looking at the context will determine what the word means, how how it's being used. Normally it means people of the world. Sometimes the uh, context here in many many contexts in the Bible means worldly people. In many, many passages of Scripture, including this one, the word world means the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of humanity that is alienated from God and hostile to the cause of Christ. As a world system, it means the world's fame, the world's honor, the riches, advantages, pleasures, those things which are hollow and frail and they're fleeting, but still they stir so much desire and they seduce people from God. And they're obstacles to the cause of Christ. So being worldly or being of this world means a lifestyle, a system, a way of seeing things, or a way of even seeing other people that is at stark contrast with God. Now he mentions the evil one here. The evil one is obviously the devil who deceived mankind, trying to tell us, We can be like God without knowing God, without being in relationship with him and submitted to his rule and reign. See, he's the father of lies, and his biggest lie is to entice us into the world. The Bible calls him the God of this world. That's in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The devil is called the God of this world. John records himself, Jesus, saying that the enemy is the ruler of this world. That's just a couple chapters uh, before John 17 and John 14, 30. The evil one is the chief perpetrator of the worldly systems, the worldly beliefs and worldviews that separate mankind from God. And that even includes religion. One example of this is the world doesn't seem to have a lot of compassion. Have you ever noticed that? The world doesn't seem to have a lot of compassion. I can think of many, many times, even this summer, people just coming at you who don't even know you for some minor infraction. People just come at you. Sometimes we feel like people are opposed to us. <laughs> Very little compassion on people. And in China, there's, uh, there's, there's no compassion for people that are handicapped, like the leprosy victims I was telling you about. There's no compassion 
for them whatsoever. And so one way that we, we show that we're not of this world, even though we're in this world, is by loving those that aren't loved by the world. And it's not that we show it just to make a demonstration to say, ha-ha, we're better than you. Because they don't get it anyway. They don't get it. It still takes a revelation for people to realize why we do what we do. It still takes that revelation. But some of the most otherworldly people I know are people who are caring for, uh, caring for those that are um, just the least of these. We, our ministry supports a, a bunch of foster homes in China, and uh, we've gone through the whirlwind with that. We ourselves tried to adopt a couple of years ago. Many of you who are familiar with our story know we, we tried to adopt a little girl named Joy, and uh, we went there and fostered her for eight months, and we ended up not, uh, not getting her. But what God did in those eight months in our hearts was incredible. It was incredible. I've never suffered so much. <laughs> This is how the kingdom of God sometimes works. I've never suffered so much, but at the same time gained so much in the end. And we just really got this love for, for people that had, she had some uh, handicaps. And uh, I don't even know if that's the right word. I'm sorry if I'm not PC or what. I, I'm, in, I'm in China. I've spent 15 of the last 24 years in China, so <laughs> not up to date on how to say things. But basically people that are physically challenged. Is that better? So... Um, so our, the, our ministry to foster homes, we've, we get to see kids that are just completely rejected, have no chance of being adopted because their physical situations are too far, uh, too complicated. And uh, we see kids that, uh, you know, have uh, stigma diseases as well, like HIV and, and things. They're all in our foster care uh, network. And uh, one particular foster home that we know of in China, the... They've been loving on these kids that are like the absolute worst cases. Kids who are just completely functionless. You know, where it takes one caretaker per one kid. You understand the expense, the commitment? One caretaker per one kid. And they've got hundreds of kids. And while the government has gone through and shut down certain foster homes and taken kids out of a lot of the foster homes we support, this particular foster home has not gone through that yet. And, uh, and people around them got it. They saw it. They have businessmen showing up at their door, crying with tears, handing them big wads of money. They're not even Christians because God revealed to them that what they're doing is so otherworldly. It's not of this world. They know what they were trained and, and, and raised up to do, which was to not even talk to people like that, ignore them as if they don't exist. But Jesus doesn't allow us to do that, does he? Because he opens our eyes. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So as believers, we're, we are of, in this world, but we're not of its same value system. We're not of its same purposes, and we're not of the same worldview. Jesus said that he doesn't pray that we are taken out of this world. Why? Why would Jesus want his disciples to stay in this world? when he knew that we would be hated by some. Why would he want us to stay? Well, there's got to be a great purpose, right? There's got to be a great purpose. And that purpose found in John 17, 17. It says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
The them is the disciples. The them is you and I. What does the word sanctify mean? It means to separate and dedicate to God. It means to be set apart. When you set something apart, you have a special purpose for that thing. The most basic meaning is to bring something or someone to the state of proper functioning. That's what it means to, to be sanctified. Sanctification means to bring something to the place where it is effective, where it is useful for God and for his kingdom. Inherent in that meaning is in the sanctification process is purification, to make something holy. In the Old Testament, both things and people were set apart or consecrated to God. For example, the tabernacle and the temple were set apart for worship. Items inside that temple were set apart, obviously the most famous one being the Ark of the Covenant. Firstborn males were set apart in the book of Exodus as were the firstborn of all livestock. So this sanctification thing is is an Old Testament theme which Jesus just brings in and brings more revelation, more uh, meaning to it in, in the New Testament. We get the word saint from the word sanctify. So how many of you here are a saint? Some of you want to admit it. (laughs) Some of you won't admit it. I'm not a saint, I'm a sinner, right? Well, the Bible calls you a saint in the book of Peter. There's so much that we can say about sanctification in the Bible, it's a major theme. Basically, God sanctified human beings from creation on. He made us in his image to have a special relationship with him and to be like him. He made us in his image. Sanctification, it returns us to that purpose. Jesus is praying here that his disciples be set apart and purified by God's truth. Now God's truth is his word. It says here, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God's word. God's word is truth. Let's look at, take a look, quick look at what God's word is. Because I think you're, you know what I'm going to say here. That it's the Bible, right? But John declared in the very first verse of, of the first chapter of this gospel that Jesus is the word. Didn't he? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. See, God's word is truth. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. At this point, in the, in the Bible, in the story here, in the Gospel of John, the disciples, all they had was the Old Testament, what Jesus taught them, and what Jesus modeled for them, and what he showed them. That's what they had at this point. How he modeled it, and the revelation that he brought to the Old Testament. That's what they had. So Jesus was talking about himself. Lord, let them be set apart in me. I'm the word. I'm the truth. Jesus wants us to be so set apart that we literally are in him, that we are of him and not of this world. Does that make sense? We're in this world. We're not of this world, but we are of him. 
He becomes our substance. Now, obviously, it's the word of God, too. As, we, as the story continues, we know that the Bible is God's word, and it's full of truth. It's the inspired word of God. And engulfing yourself in Scripture is a huge part of the sanctification process. If you want to know God, if you want to know Jesus, I want to encourage you to engulf yourself in the Bible. And I would say, not doctrine. Can I say that? Not doctrine. Doctrine can be very divisive. Before you delve into the different doctrines, delve into the Bible. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Learn how Jesus operated so that when you do come across doctrine, you can decipher for yourself. In the history of China, if I can go there real quick, in the history of the the house church, the house church movement began to spread like wildfire. It began to spread without Bibles. They didn't even have Bibles. All they had was the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And it spread like wildfire. All of the same things that happened in the New Testament happened in China. Uncle Wong, this guy I was telling you about before, he has, he, he's told me all of the different miracles that happened during those revival days. I've studied for papers I've done for school and stuff like that, um, uh, different books that have been written about, about the revivals in China, because it was the largest people move in history. In other words, the most amount of people coming to Christ at one time was that, from that movement. And so that's something you want to look into, right? Hey, I ha- wonder what happened there. <laughs> Maybe we could do something like that. <laughs> and so they had this tremendous need for Bibles. I don't know if you've seen these videos or not. But there's videos out there that have recirculated on social media of when the Chinese first got their Bibles. And it is, it is absolutely precious. I had one of these dreams last night. <laughs> Because the Bible's again becoming rare in China. It's harder and harder to get, and we're going back into those kind of days. Even the smugglers that have typically brought uh, Bibles across the borders are, are being shut down because of things like facial recognition and all these fingerprint technologies and all of these different things. And so I just met with one of our uh, suppliers of Bibles, and he said, We can't do it anymore. This is where it's going. I don't know if you've seen these videos where they get their Bibles and they're just so happy and blessed. They're crying and jumping up and down and, and just incredibly joyful because they finally have the word of God. I don't know if you've heard the stories, but they'd take a Bible and they'd rip it apart and they'd share it with each other. And then they would pass it back and forth to each other to make sure everybody crisscrossed and got to read what they hadn't read yet. But then as the church from the West continued to supply them with Bibles, they started putting their doctrinal books on top of those Bibles. And so you had the birth of this section and that section and this sect and that denomination and this, you know, whatever, (laughs) division. So my encouragement is to read the Bible, know the word of God. I'm not saying that doctrine is bad. There is an orthodox doctrine of Christianity that we need to believe. (laughs) In order to be saved, we need to believe. Amen? But there is so much else that we need to know the Bible first. And when you do know the Bible first, you can then go and learn some of that stuff 
and really get what the pure-hearted people meant when they first came up with those teachings. And then you can get some life out of it. Then you can get some, some good stuff to hang on to and live your life by. Amen? Now, obviously, it's a complicated subject, but there it is. So saturating ourselves in God's word works to help us understand our purpose, to know God and to know how God the Father and Jesus Christ operate. That is why we want to read the Bible, to know what God says about us. Chris is going to touch on this next week, to know what God says about our identity. Amen? And again, His Feet International has had the opportunity to provide thousands of Bibles to people in China. Sometimes their very first Bible. Many times their very first Bible. And we're working hard to bring uh, the Bible in any form we can to those tribal languages that we deal with who are Ill- where the people are mainly illiterate. So that means we basically take guys that we've led to the Lord that work for us from that particular tribal people and we say, here, you translate these stories the best you can. And so they're translating, they're working with professionals, if you will, those who are trained in this kind of stuff and coming up with recordings that are a a good translation of, of particular biblical texts so that people can have something to hang on to, something to listen to, something to feed on. The word of God is food. And it's a good meal. So why, again, the question, why would God want us to be in this world if we're not of it? Why would he want us to be in this world if if such a thing as persecution exists and we may face it. Why would he want us in this world? See, Jesus is God's sent word. And as God's sent word into the world, Jesus turns around and sends his disciples. This is why he didn't take them out of the world. John 17, 18 says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You see, Jesus was the first missionary. He wants the whole world to know the system, the lifestyle, the way of seeing things, the way of seeing yourself and others in God's kingdom is much better than the world. His rule and reign is better than the reign of of the God of this world. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the God of this world isn't doing a very good job. He's doing a terrible job. More terrible news of that last night at a Walmart in Texas. Lord have mercy. That's why he commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You see, you gotta remember that God loves the world. In this very book that we're talking about, John, the book of John, it's where we get the most famous scripture in the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember, the word world means the people of the world. God is sending his disciples to the people of the world so that all the people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, they may have life in his name. That's what the call of our ministry was born on, to reach the unreached. 
to make disciples of all nations. The word nations in the Greek is basically talking about every ethnicity in the world, not just a country or a border. It's talking about every ethnic people in the world. And there's hundreds of people groups in China alone that have never heard the name of Jesus. They're called unreached people groups. How many of you have heard of unreached people groups before? That's close to the statistics. Apparently 70% of people in the evangelical church have never heard about what an unreached people group is. That's shocking. There are people that have never heard the name of Jesus before and really have no chance of hearing the name of Jesus unless somebody goes. Unless somebody goes. They're living without the knowledge of God or Jesus, the Holy Spirit of the Bible. have no idea what those things are. And God has used us to reach the very first believers in several tribes and he's used us to bring the gospel to thousands who haven't previously heard. And we're able to do that because of churches like Westridge who believe that the gospel needs to be taken to the whole world. And they, you put your money where your mouth is. See, we're believing God to move mightily as we expand our outreach into more unreached and unengaged tribes. And we're so grateful that you guys are partners with us. And really, as we get to go and do it, we're just basically the ones that are being sent by you. God sent his word into the world. That was Jesus. Jesus sent his disciples into the world. (laughs) And that's us. (laughs) And you're sending us to places that have never heard before. Amen? So that's the reason. That's it. That's why Jesus left us in this world. You can thank him for that because his plan is not yet 100% fulfilled. There are still more people that need to hear the gospel. He needs us to be in the world but not of it so that people know there is a way out of the evil ways of this present world. That's what Jesus' prayer is for us that we go and bear fruit for his glory. In order to be sent, we need to be sanctified. Jesus doesn't want us to be engulfed with the world and all of its erroneous thoughts and values and the way of doing things, the way of seeing things, the way of seeing people. All of that leads to death. The world is like a trap. God wants us to avoid that trap. He wants us to be engulfed in bringing glory to his son, Jesus. He wants us to be in the kingdom of God and actively extending his rule and reign. Jesus doesn't want us to be discouraged from the systems of the world that are going to reject the change, the life, the meaning that the gospel will bring. He wants us to be encouraged to go and be that change. He wants us sanctified to be used as a tool, an ambassador, a vessel for his glory. And I want to ask, are we willing to be sanctified so that we can be sent? Why don't we stand up together? If you want. I can pretty much say on the authority of Scripture that God wants to send you somewhere. It may not be to a far off place. Literally where we live live in China, it is literally the other side of the world. And God chose to send us there. And 
but I know that he's in the sending business. It doesn't necessarily have to be that far. It could be half that distance. It could be a quarter of that distance. It could be right next door. It could be to your workplace. It could be to your neighborhood. It could be to some, some place, some neighborhood that's, that you know is ostracized. It could be a certain type of people that you know are considered the least of these in the Bible. But Jesus has called us to go. And he wants to send us. So if you're here today and you want to be sanctified, to be sent. If you already believe, that sanctification process has already started in you. But it's an ongoing process. If you want to be sanctified, I want to pray for you. If you want to be sanctified in His Word, by His truth, and be sent, basically yielding yourself to what His purpose is for you, why don't you go ahead and slip your hand up. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Again, we want what God wants for us, right? That's what we want. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you, Father. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up here and slip up here if you guys can. I forgot to do that. In a minute, we're going to open up this altar if you have specific prayer requests come up and agree with somebody in prayer, but we're still praying to be sanctified and sent. Amen. So Lord, we just pray, Father God, right now, Lord, that you would continue to set us apart, that you would continue to bring us to the place of proper functioning. You made us. And so many of us sometimes feel like we're missing what you made us for. And there's no guilt or condemnation in that. We're just saying, Lord, we want to be in that place where we are at the proper state of functioning for you, for your kingdom, for your glory. And that's what we're responding to today. So if you will, just pray after me. Pray after me right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for saving me. I thank you so much for allowing me to see your kingdom. Lord, as Jesus prayed, for, for us to be sanctified. I pray for myself and we pray for each other to be sanctified, to be set apart for your glory, for your purposes. Here we are, Lord. Send us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're here today and you want to pray with the prayer team, I want to encourage you to come up and have somebody agree with you. You know, the Bible says not to neglect the gathering together, the fellowship of the brothers and sisters. What does that mean? It means we come together for the word and for worship, but it also means that we come together to bear one another's burdens. And we got people up here that are ready and willing and wanting to bear your burden with you in prayer so they can intercede 
for what you're going through. If it's a financial crisis, if it's a health crisis, if it's a relational crisis, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to come up here and get prayer. Don't let this opportunity pass by, okay? All right, I'm going to turn this back over to Eric. Thank you guys so much.